and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 170, recorded on January 3rd, 2021. I'm Chris. I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. And let's look back at the news. 2020 really felt like one long month. So we've broken things out mostly by topic rather than chronologically. Let me tell you, there were some major open source developments last year. Yeah, and we're going to have lots of links, and we'll lean heavily on some great reporting by Michael Larble over at Pharonix. So be sure to check out our interview with him if you missed that in episode 166. Let's start things off where else but at the kernel of it all. The Linux kernel entered 2020 at 27.8 million lines of code, but actually with fewer developers than in 2019. Interestingly enough, later in the year, October 11th, we learned that the AMD Radeon graphics driver makes up roughly 10.5% of those 27.8 million lines of code. Turns out graphics drivers take a lot of lines of code. They sure do, as do file systems. And we got some good news for the XFAT file system in 2020. Now, previously in the 5.4 kernel, we had a preliminary XFAT driver based on a several-year-old snapshot from Samsung. But after Microsoft made the XFAT specification public and encouraged support for Linux, Samsung worked to upstream their much-improved version that they've been developing internally and shipping on their devices. That driver's in much better shape, and it's going to be continued to be maintained by Samsung engineers going forward. We got that in kernel 5.7. Hmm. There was an interesting trend that developed over the year that I don't know if we really saw coming, but you could say there was a um, robust conversation around the kernel's scheduler in 2020, and it, it literally kicked off on day one, January 1st. A Stadia developer kind of complained that one of the adoption problems they were having was really because Linux's kernel wasn't good enough and that it could use some improvements and perhaps some new developers and new code in there, which, as you can imagine, the kernel team, well, they had thoughts about that. Oh, yes. In a mailing list discussion a few days later, Linus himself chimed in and wrote, the whole post seems to be just wrong and is measuring something completely different than what the author thinks and claims it is measuring. First up, spin locks can only be used if you actually know you're not being scheduled while using them. It basically reads the time before releasing the lock, and then it reads it after acquiring the lock again, and claims that the time difference is the time when no lock was held, which is just inane and pointless and completely wrong. That's pure garbage. Oh, a classic Linus takedown. Basically putting the whole conversation kind of in its place. There was some development around other scheduler options, though, throughout 2020. But while we're talking about kernel code contributions... Well, you might be wondering what Oracle was up to this year, and their major contribution may surprise you, unless you're an existing Unbreakable Linux user. They submitted a pretty large patch set, which is actually a reduced focused version of what ships in Oracle's Unbreakable Linux called KTask. And it is a way for the kernel to do in-kernel multi-threading for CPU-intensive tasks. It's a framework that's never made it into mainline Linux, but Oracle sure would love you to use it, and they have shipped it in their Linux, and a newer iteration of the patch series that's more streamlined has been submitted upstream this year. But as far as we could tell when doing research before the show, doesn't seem to have actually been merged into the kernel. Hey, maybe in 2021. Michael Arbel notes that there were a few items we were expecting in 2020 that didn't land, 
And so we'll likely see them in 2021. That's preempt RT, which has been talked about for a long time. But the conversation at this last year's Linux Plumbers Conference was really about landing it very soon. Uh, Bcash FS, we've talked about that recently on the show. We expect to see that in 2021, at least I hope. Yeah, you hope. Yeah, <laughs> specifically, I hope. And you do too, but now maybe not quite as much since I made it a prediction. <laughs> uh, but one that would be really great for a lot of people out there is a new NTFS driver. The one that's been developed by Paragon, who've been making NTFS drivers forever. That could land as well. Almost made it, but officially Intel multi-GPU support, which could have some pretty epic implications for virtualization and all other kinds of tasks. And Wes, I know, lastly, uh, you are really excited to see that uh, Riser 5, it, Riser 5, Riser FS5 may, uh, may land. Moving on up the stack, SystemD also had a pretty big 2020. Started off at 1.5 million lines of code, spanning over 48,000 commits from almost 2,000 different authors. Just in 2020 alone, there was 5,424 commits, which was up compared to 5,085 in 2019. That added 300,000 lines of code and took away another 1,000, which, hey, that's a lot of work. Some of that work included SystemD, HomeD, which we've been quite interested in, because it makes it easier to support things like migratable home directories, more self-containment within those home directories, better passwords and encryption handling, and a whole bunch of other modern Linux home directory features. Some of the design objectives are things like support for Lux encryption built right in, mounting home directories off a SIF server, say, uh, maybe using user space encryption like FScript, inter interfacing with ButterFS subvolumes, and of course, because you gotta have JSON, JSON formatted user records. Right. And as far as other big features in SystemD go this year outside of HomeD, there was OOMD, which is an out-of-memory daemon that was originally developed at Facebook and then was modified for the use cases that SystemD would require. So it is now functional on desktops as well. And the SystemD OOMD daemon, it pulls SystemD for OOMD-enabled cgroups. It monitors them and then kills them based on memory pressure which is a metric in your Linux system, or swap usage. And just an interesting note, Lenart Pottering of Red Hat continues leading systemd development after all this time and being responsible for just over a quarter of all patches to systemd's Git. And of course, there were a whole bunch of other changes we don't have time to touch on today, but I'm wondering if any of those stood out to you and maybe if you've got any hopes for what happens to systemd in 2021. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I look at it and I think from a high level outside perspective, it seems like things are pretty healthy over at System D land. The project is getting things done. You saw ideas land early in the year. Then you saw test code in the middle of the year. And then here we are at the end of the year and we see major features actually shipping in a released version. They executed really well this year. I think the one thing that could, um, well, use some improvement, some refinement, is probably their communication channel between SystemD and the kernel team. That that got a little rough this year. 
Yeah, I mean, really, there's been a few spats over the years, and 2020 was was no different, especially with a recent issue over a breaking change in System D around UDEV bind events, and just whose fault that was. If you want more information, check out Linux Action News 163. Datadog.com slash Linux Action News. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring and analytics platform for comprehensive visibility into cloud, hybrid, and multi-cloud environments. You can quickly analyze the performance of your Linux servers in real time with customizable dashboards that look amazing and troubleshoot Linux issues in seconds with a unified view of your metrics, your traces, and your logs, all in one place. With integrations for over 400 technologies, you can even use Datadog to monitor key Linux source metrics alongside data from the rest of your stack to get full visibility into the health and performance of your entire infrastructure. And you can start a Datadog trial right now by going to datadog.com slash linuxactionnews. You support this show and start your free trial. You create one dashboard and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. Who doesn't love swag? That's datadog.com slash linuxactionnews. See what power you get when you put it all in one place. Go over there and start your free trial and get that free t-shirt after you create a dashboard at datadog.com slash linuxactionnews. From Intel in 2020, we saw some new Linux features, timely hardware support, and a whole lot more. However, it wasn't all great. Early in the year, we saw the Linux community react to an unfortunate graphics driver flaw that could have allowed an unauthenticated user to potentially enable information disclosure if they had local access. And actually, this was severe enough that Red Hat recommended entirely disabling the Intel Linux graphics driver. That, of course, has some downsides, like losing out on hardware acceleration entirely, but you also lose out on kernel mode setting, which generally means you'll be running at a very low resolution. To make matters worse, a little while later in February, a KVM virtualization bug was discovered on Intel processors. And thankfully, it was not another hardware vulnerability, but CVE 2020-2732 stemmed from some unfinished code within the Intel VMX code support in the Linux kernel. And that was embarrassing. That is kind of embarrassing. But they made up for it a little bit, at least in my eyes, in the later half of the year. Throughout the entire year, we saw the code be committed for Tiger Lake graphics, which is also known as Intel Z graphics or XE graphics. And we actually saw that land in distributions at the end of 2020. And man, does it really seem to impress. I have a rig in for testing right now, and I've been blowing away. I've been getting blown away by the graphics performance of one of these ZE laptops. And I think they nailed this. And not only did we get great graphics with a baked-in driver, but we also got GPU-accelerated AV1 video decoding. I know, I know, codecs are boring, but AV1 is an awesome new open codec, and things like GPU acceleration are exactly what you need to see it adopted. So, hey, great job, Intel. From the perspective of Linux users, AMD had a really great year. They really delivered on their Ryzen 5000 Zen 3 desktop processors. Performance was great. And maybe an even more important milestone was the Radeon RX 6000 Big Navi graphics cards landing on day one with open source support for those new GPUs. That, that's never really happened before. And benchmarks have shown that those cards are delivering the best GPU performance for an open source driver to date. 
Also, a feather in the cap of VMD Linux users was when Linus Torvalds announced he was switching after 15 years of using Intel systems to an AMD Ryzen Threadripper. He wrote, In fact, the biggest excitement for me this week was just that I upgraded my main machine. And for the first time in 15 years, my desktop isn't Intel-based. No, no, I didn't switch to ARM yet, but I'm now rocking an AMD Threadripper 3970X. My all mod config test builds are now three times faster than they used to be. As always, Red Hat was in the news all year long, but they particularly made news towards the end of the year when they announced that CentOS would be refocusing on CentOS Stream. On December 8th, Red Hat announced it was refocusing the project and refactoring the support window to just December 31st of this year. A surprising change. This change is still not really sitting well with many of the traditional CentOS users. Though Red Hat is still expressing optimism for this CentOS stream change, and they say, we think it will work for around 95% of current workloads. And they'll be rolling out some new, yet-to-be-announced options for helping fill in the gap between CentOS and RHEL. Given the complicated community reactions, for several weeks after the announcement, Red Hat and the CentOS team tried to clarify the logic behind the change. And in that vein, on December 19th, Karsten Wade, who has been one of the original CentOS board members, longtime Fedora contributor, and a senior community architect for Red Hat, penned a CentOS blog post that continued to plead their case. It basically lays out the case from an open source perspective that the move is great for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, since it's no longer going to be developed behind a firewall, but will now have an open source upstream, which is CentOS stream, that anyone can see as it's being developed. Ultimately, Red Hat has now established a CentOS questions email address where they're seeking feedback, good or bad, about these planned changes. And no doubt about it, one of the stories of 2021 will be distributions coming online trying to fill this gap that traditional CentOS has left. But I maintain, I think a lot of people, when they look at CentOS stream and they look at the universal base image that is essentially RHEL, I think you could put those two things together and you'll probably be all right. Linode.com slash LAN. You go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. Linode is the largest independent cloud out there, and they're our cloud provider. When I started a couple of years ago, I needed something that was just different, and I'd heard of Linode and wanted to try it. But then, now, two years later, I was getting ready to launch JB 3.0, and I needed something that would break the bank, but also would have a professional, high-quality experience for my audience. It was obvious to deploy on Linode, and I didn't have a $100 credit, so I was taking advantage of like their $5 a month rig at first, and then I scaled that up as I needed that. And then I've rolled in services like object storage now to hold some of our more static assets, also perfect for something like a static website. If you want a really quick portfolio or personal website, maybe you should look at what you can do with object storage and a simple website on Linode. But get started by going to linode.com slash LAN. That gives you the $100 60-day credit, and it supports the show. They're my cloud hosting provider. We build everything on Linode. So that's why when I say I know you can deploy like a company chat server that can handle hundreds of connections simultaneously or more, I can tell you with confidence, yeah, Linode's going to be able to do that. If you need something for NextCloud up in the cloud, Linode can handle that as well. We've integrated our NextCloud with their object storage system, which is slick. And with 11 data centers worldwide, you're going to find just the right spot to deploy for you or 
maybe your clients, in my case, my audience. So check them out, linode.com slash LAN. See why I love them, see how fast they are with their native SSDs, 40 gigabit connections, and their awesome cloud dashboard. And with their costs 30 to 50% lower than major providers, you're going to get a lot of mileage. And at the end of the day, you're also investing in a company that's part of the Linux community. They've been here since the very beginning of cloud computing. They helped define what it means. And now they're one of the remaining independent champions. Linode.com slash LAN. Go check them out and tell them we sent you. Linode.com slash LAN. Over 2020, Microsoft made some interesting strides. From giving their blessing to Samsung, upstreaming their improved XFAT driver, to contributing more and more code to Mesa in order to leverage OpenGL and OpenCL code in various Windows components. And on March 14th, they announced that WSL2 would be reaching general availability, promoting it to officially be a part of Windows 10, powered by Hyper-V and giving access to the Linux command line right from Windows. On May 14th, Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, acknowledged that Microsoft was previously wrong on open source. While Microsoft executives in past years had called open source a cancer and other types of FUD, the current president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, acknowledged that they were wrong in those past remarks. Quote, Microsoft was on the wrong side of history when open source exploded at the beginning of the century. And I can say that about me personally. The good news is that if life is long enough, you can learn that you need to change. Today, Microsoft is the single largest contributor to open source projects in the world when it comes to business. We look at GitHub, we see it as the home for open source development, and we see our responsibility as its steward to make it secure and a productive home for developers. Okay, Brad Smith, okay. (laughs) He came on strong. Well, at least they're learning. Something else they've been learning about in 2020, though, has been Wayland, because on May 20th at Build 2020, Microsoft demoed GPU acceleration and GUI app support in WSL2, using their own Wayland compositor with a glorified RDP setup for showing the applications running on Linux, but right there on your Windows desktop. Yep, we covered that here on this podcast. And also, you can't really talk about the year of Microsoft and Linux without mentioning that on September 22nd, they announced Edge was coming out for Linux. And then about a month later, they made good and released Microsoft Edge, the web browser, on Linux. And it's not that bad. KDE had a very eventful year where it saw its Wayland support come together quite nicely. So much so, in fact, that it's usable on a day-to-day basis. But really, I think we have to say that Plasma's big milestone for the year was the release of their latest LTS. KDE Plasma 5.18 brought much better integration with GTK and GNOME applications, a new opt-in system and user feedback feature, and a hell of a lot of polishing all around the Plasma desktop. We could easily dedicate an entire episode to this, but I wanted to give a special shout out to one of the great native text editors on desktop Linux, Kate. It turned 20 years old this year and um, still getting new cool features added to it. It's, It's actually what I used this morning to do a lot of the notes for this week's episode when I had a uh, web outage. 
<laughs> just used a good old local native text editor. And I was very thankful for its markdown support. There's a lot to talk about, though. So you can just kind of scratch a little bit more of the surface if you check out our interview with Nate Graham. That's Linux Unplugged, episode 385, linuxunplugged.com slash 385. He and I discussed some of the improved UI features and other aspects that landed in Plasma this year. Turning to that other desktop environment, GNOME saw many improvements in 2020, including a number of significant performance optimizations. And while GNOME on Wayland has been solid for quite some time, there's been some further enhancements over there as well. It was interesting watching all of this go down in GNOME OS, which we got a little more information about around July 22nd at Guadic 2020. One of the talks there was focused on running GNOME OS on real hardware, which traditionally GNOME OS has been a virtual machine image for testing. With work done, though, recently by CodeThink and other GNOME developers, it's becoming possible to run GNOME OS on bare metal hardware. And thanks to the likes of Flack, Pack, and OS Tree, it's becoming more and more like just a regular old Linux distribution in terms of package availability. Who knows? In 2021, you may hear us reviewing GNOME OS. I don't think so. 2020 also saw the official announcement of GNOME Circle, which is aimed at lowering the barrier for allowing new applications and libraries to become part of the GNOME project. So, hey, there's maybe there'll be some new parts of GNOME to enjoy in 2021. There was also the big announcement about GTK4 on December 16th. It was officially released. It features many new widgets and reworkings to existing elements and Integrated media playback support and also, excitingly, GPU acceleration with a Vulkan render and better Mac OS support. So GTK4 is now considered stable for applications to begin supporting it. GTK3 will continue to be maintained for the foreseeable future, while GTK2 is no longer going to be supported beyond one more point release. And it goes without saying that all of this amazing work was done during a year like no other. And we really just touched on the highlights. If you want the details, head over to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get this show every week. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. But don't worry, we'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Next week.